0: Forum Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings
1: from the North and welcome to Forum Borealis and a brand new show in our Esoteric Philosophy series. Now, the jack-of-all-trades that is our guest today is Robert Bonomo, a filmmaker, photographer, blogger, novelist, financial and political analyst, tarot reader and practicing esoterist. His background is equally manifold after acquiring graduate degrees from the University of Florida and Boston University, and having lectured at universities in Spain and China, he's had an extensive career in marketing and advertising, having worked among other for the World Wildlife Fund, UPS, Galeries Lafayette, Porsche and AnteVenio. Despite his successful professions, he had a change of heart, fed up with spending his energy on convincing thousands of people to buy things they don't really need or want, and decided to pick up pen and paper and begin writing. A few novels emerged along the way, all three who are available as free downloads on Smashwords, First Twilight Breakout in 09, then The Dystopian Cactus Land the same year, and his latest release in 2012, Your Love Incomplete, which is structured upon the tarot symbolism. Being multilingual, it's no wonder he has lived and worked all around the world, like in the San Francisco Bay Area, Miami, New York, Valencia and Madrid in Spain, Luang in China, Buenos Aires in Argentina, Cartagena in Colombia, Kamchatka in Russia, the last few years in Andorra, And as this is being released now also in Tunisia, in Northern Africa, where he is running a school. Having worked many of these places as a teacher, even giving online classes, he has coupled this experience with his passion for esoterica and started to give online tarot seminars as well as readings. He has also presented his work in various conferences, like Oculture in Berlin. His presentations has also turned into instructional and documentary movies, like the two-year production released in 2018 called The 21 Faces of God, a presentation of the major arcana archetypes. And currently he is working upon his new movie, due for release autumn 2019, called Twilight of the Archons, which will cover the financial, cultural and spiritual web of control and offer some ways out. Robert Bonomo, who is a late-blooming anarcho-libertarian, is consequently blogging on all sorts of topics like astrology, zombies, Ron Paul and cats, among other things. His prediction of the gold value was mentioned in Market Watch. Ron Uns included Bonomo's work in the Unz Review, and he has had his articles published in some of the leading old and new media sites, including Business Insider, Culture, Lew Rockwell, Infowars, Global Research, The Occidental Observer, Activist Post, Rance, What Really Happened, Counterpunch, Information Clearinghouse... Pravda, Rinf, Alternative News, The Waking Times, Astrological News Service, and The Mountain Astrologer. Robert is naturally also a frequent guest on podcasts and talk radio. Some of his guest appearances include The Higher Side Chats, Aeon Byte, Gnostic Radio, Grey America. Where Did the Road Go? Freeman TV, Eschaton, or maybe it's pronounced Eschaton, The Outer Limits of Inner Truth, Lighting the Void, My Alchemical Bromance, and of course Alex Zakiri's legendary Skeptico, where I first heard Robert. And since the forum is unbreaking news, (laughs) lost on everything, sweeping up what the others left behind, we now have him on to complete the circle. Here you are. Welcome to Forum Borealis, Robert. Thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of the show. Excellent. And after I discovered you, I've become a fan of you too. And you know, I told you um, in one of our mails that you know, I've listened to you without knowing it was you. <laughs> it was the show we, you did with Alex over at Skeptico. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you did politics there. Right. It was right after the election. Right. And I don't know what you're most famous for, but uh, certainly you have something to offer in that department. So, to the listeners, I just want to say I've booked Robert for a separate session because I, I, I like to go deep and I don't want to mix too many branches. You you know, you can't ride two horses at the same time, they say. So, mm-hmm. today, Robert, we're going to ride the esoteric horse. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, next time, let's do politics. Great. Yeah, and I, I just want to give you the heads up that uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I wouldn't say I'm an anarchist, but I'm, I'm leaning in that direction.
2: <laughs> I've listened to a lot of your shows, and I think our politics are pretty much on the same level.
1: Yeah, uh, which is kind of boring, actually. I, I wish there was some. Uh, I hope we find some disagreements because you know, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm sure we'll find something to argue about. Yeah, let, let's I'm see. half Irish, so I'm always looking for a fight somewhere.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> but but you know, not for the sake of of uh, bickering, but for the sake of uh, pushing forward to a higher known as the Germans say. Yeah,
2: and, yeah. And I I'm not a strict libertarian. I used to be, but now I'm kind of having my doubts. So I'm sort of in one of these weird political places where I'm not exactly sure where I am. Which is kind of fun, too. I'm not locked in like I used to be.
1: No, and, and that's where I, I, I'm liminal, too. But I'm deliberately liminal. Kill me if I marry one particular. I mean, any <laughs> intelligent person should pick and choose from anywhere. It's not natural for people to be lockstep on questions like these. You know what Ron Paul says? He says, coalition, yes, yes. Compromise? No. The minute you compromise, you're selling out. Absolutely. Your principle. But you can co with anyone and everyone that you agree with. And that's how yeah. uh, society is pushed forward. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And he was one of my heroes.
1: Yeah, mine too. But I have heroes all over the place. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, th- so that would be exciting. And the only thing that gets my blood boiling is... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say politics, but I would say war. Uh-huh. Questions like war and, and stuff like that. People say to me, oh, you're so mellow. Oh, you never get angry. No, it's, it's totally alien for me to be upset about someone else's opinion, someone else's values, someone else's views. I, I think that's a kind of an insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are too attached to the mentality when they do that instead of their own uh, real idea, how people can be, Identified with their, yeah, with so many their bodies, so many their emotions, and so many their thoughts. But mm-hmm. when it comes to important questions like war, torture, uh, freedom, whatever, that's when my blood is boiling. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do more political shows this year, and I did one on Syria. Oh, you did? Interesting. Yeah, if people, yeah, it's not out yet, but if people think I uh, normally don't shut up, oh my god, they have to brace themselves for that one. <laughs> 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 so, but today I was thinking we could do uh, symbolism and uh, of course uh, sure. also with a heavy emphasis on tarot and, and archetypes yeah.
2: yeah absolutely yeah,
1: yeah. and more specifically uh, you have this great movie out, you, you did me the disfavor of sending me the short version I, I didn't <laughs> know there was a long version I, but then fortunately I discovered it oh. it's called uh, 21 Masks of God and sentient people out there Will already have picked up That it implies tarot So today I think we should discuss Occult symbology Archetypes And also especially tarot
2: Excellent Excellent Yeah I mean it's, it's a topic That I've spent many many years Sort of getting deeper and deeper And it, it really It's a well that seems to You can go as deep as you want Exactly
1: now, before we start getting into the profound, uh, let's start with, because you're our uh, first-time uh, guest here, let's just do the ritual, which is interesting for people who don't know you, too. How did you get into the area of esoterics? Yeah, I think
2: it all began when I was a teenager. I... um I had a sort of a difficult period and I came from a very catholic family. So my mother sent me to meet a priest who is also a jungian analyst. Oh wow. But and but trained in Switzerland. Right. And you know the old school kind of you know jungian analyst. And it, I think it all began there because He, he really introduced me to young. And then from young, once you kind of, you know, when you're 16, 17, I started reading young. It just, it really changed. I think the whole way I looked at things. Yeah. And then, you know, I think like a lot, a lot of people, you know, you drift out of Catholicism, but young kind of always stays there. I went to the more Eastern sort of thinking, but then like a lot of people at some point, I felt like I had to come back into the Western tradition. And, um. I even remember there's an interview somewhere where young talks about when he was in India he didn't want to meet I can't remember who it was I'm not sure maybe it was the Maharashi mm-hmm. but it, it was almost like you have to stay you know in the western tradition and and alchemy has always been something that has fascinated me yeah and it took me a long time to 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 be able to have a feel for it. I remember as a kid reading these books on alchemy, I had no idea what I was
1: reading. (laughs) Being a donut. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I mean, you pick up Aeon when you're 21, and, you know, it's not easy reading.
1: (laughs) No, it's like, who dropped acid in my cup, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's almost unreadable. Right.
2: And you know what helped me with that was Edinger, Edward Edinger, who is a Jungian, who has a lot of lectures on Aeon and on the Mysterium. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I think it was through Ettinger that I really started to to kind of really you know get a feel for it at least.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, so so yeah, that's a good uh, starting point. I, I want to say regarding the Eastern and Western thing, it's a, it's a it's a very old um, conundrum. And some are very, you know, like Rudolf Steiner was very, you know, after his theosophical experience, he was very on the Mm -hmm. western-western. And Jung, too. But I had a mentor of sorts. He said uh, it's pretty easy, simple, I mean, because it's not about, you know, which one is best or anything like that. It's about when you grow up in a culture. You have a lot of, I'll say spiritual or occult influence subconsciously. It's just there in our language. Mm. It's there in our mythology. It's there in above else in symbolism. Norwegian, English, Spanish, Italian, you name it. Those languages are so ingrained with Greek and Latin and also other sorts of influences and very often it goes back to uh, spiritualist or occult uh, roots yeah and so he said his point was sure you can you know you can be a tibetan buddhist or whatever but it's so hard if you've grown up in the western culture to really penetrate because you know it's not about and that's where the uh, academics go wrong and the intellectuals go wrong it's not about understanding intellectually these things that it has its part obviously but mm-hmm. it's much deeper if if we're not just going to write a dissertation about this we're going to actually live it as living breathing as a traditions. then we have to integrate it into our being and our being is built up if you're born in the west by entirely different uh, building blocks than if you were born in the East. So it will be equally hard for the Easterner who's grown up in that culture to, you know, uh, go into some Western approach. Mm -hmm. That's all. And at the end of the day, we're all going to the top of the same mountain. It's just that the mountain has a million paths at the beginning. And the higher we come, he said this too, the higher you go, the more all the different tracks will dwindle into, you know, just four different eventually: north, mm-hmm. south, east, west. And only when you are at the top, you'll see clearly all all of them. But on, but you know, who gets to the top? <laughs> and <laughs> so it's much better to take the easy road, which would be the road that you're influenced uh, on subconsciously. So that's yeah. that's my, that's the reason I too emphasize more the western approach than the eastern. But I I do. Obviously, seek for uh, useful stuff here and there to substantiate uh, whatever view I have, and the Eastern has much to offer. But I would never devote myself fully to that part. It would be too much of a – I would have too much of a starting disadvantage, if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I actually lived in Luoyang in China. Mm-hmm. which was where Lao Tzu was actually working most of his life. And I knew some Dao- I met some Taoist some monks. Mm. And to try and penetrate what they were saying to me would have taken <laughs> maybe 10 years of studying Chinese. And then remember, Chinese is, it's contextually very different than Western languages. So to actually have any idea what they were talking about
0: mm.
2: would take such an effort. That it, like you say, it's just a little bit, it's not a little bit, a lot easier to go deep, I think, in our own tradition, in our own tradition. And it doesn't have that they're talking in riddles either.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, my God. And remember, everything they say to you is contextual with who's there, the moment. It's it's not so, you know, low context, like, say, American English. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, it is a riddle. But, you know, I was thinking about this today. It's interesting how Buddhism, which I mean, the Bo- the origins of Buddhism are Aryan. I mean, they're, they we come from the same
1: origin, but it moved east. Yeah. What if it had moved west? Well, some say you know the 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 boon the sh- shamanic origin to Bo- Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. I know you're aware of Peter Kingsley. Yes. 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 Very much. And he's one of those who's emphasizing the shamanic influence from the east on the ancient uh, Greek esoteric traditions you have uh, Abaris who was an Avarian which means he came from the Altai area Uh so some say you have that impulse coming west and then you have it uh, also in the east transformed into Tibetan Buddhism but uh, you were more talking of later pure Buddhism right?
2: yeah exactly and and it just how it became how it really kind of left moved into China, eventually found its way to Japan, and it took on a very very confucian kind there was a strong Confucian flavor, especially to Zen no mm. but when you when it, it would have it's just interesting. I was just thinking, imagine if there had been a school that had mo- had moved west, mm. what would it have looked like and I think that's one of the appeals now you see there's a strong appeal. The Buddhist appeal, I think it's probably one of the most appealing traditions to most people today.
1: Mm. Yeah, until they learn about his uh johnny <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, that's interesting. S- some people claim that Jesus, well, the chap who, who we call Jesus, that was obviously not his name, but the Nazarene, mm-hmm. that he was initiated into, influenced by Buddhist sources. Now, you know, hard to tell, but what we do know mm-hmm. is that there was full exchange between the Middle East and the Orient back in that day. People were traveling back and forth. I mean, Thomas Church in India and all that stuff.
0: Right, right. The
1: Silk Road was open, so impulses have been exchanged no matter if the religion per se didn't be exported. And we were talking about Pythagoras. I mean, he lived, uh, you know, he lived 20 years in Egypt, 10 years in, in with the Zoroastrians, Some say he too went to India. And by the way, uh, when you say Taoism and Buddhism mm. and Pythagoras, consider this. I mentioned it in another show but it's worth uh, revisiting. What's the odds for about 500 BC? Mm-hmm. You get three avatars on Earth, at the same time, you have in the East Dao, Lao Tse. You have in the middle Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, mm-hmm. and you have in the West the chap known as Pythagoras, which was his title, and not only that but if you go into the philosophy of these three impulses you'll see it's so damn similar it's what we could call nature philosophies based upon nature it's not based upon dogmas based upon natural laws like numbers exactly. that's what what we'll get to today right uh, symbols and, and numbers and all that stuff so three impulses at the same time more or less with the same philosophy. Of course, there's cultural and linguistic and some symbolic differences and all that stuff. The context is different. But if you go to the heart of it, the essence, I dare claim is pretty similar. The solution's pretty similar. The diagnosis of the world, pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And you are a guy writing fiction.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not. But if I ever would write spiritual fiction... I've always thought, I write the novel where those three chaps meet up in India. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. That happened, but we don't know about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. I've even looked at the astrology
2: of that period just to see what yeah. was going on. Yeah. And it's fascinating to look at the chart of that period around, you know, 550 BC around there.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, the conjunction of, close to conjunction of Neptune- Uranus and Pluto so it's a, that that's something I've always thought about what an incredible moment that was yeah and we really haven't left that in any significant way mm. I mean I think if you look at Pythagorean thought it's the foundation of all modern cosmology
1: Indeed it is. That's pretty deep and it will take a long time to unravel. But before, if we even go there, I I, want to direct us now to another uh, starting point, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, Your movie, excellent movie, and oh, the music you're using is beautiful, by the way. Good taste, man. Thank you. But you choose the tarot, and that's interesting, because the tarot is pretty new Mm -hmm. um, and now we've been musing about more original stuff, so why the tarot? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, actually, how, how I got into this was
2: the last novel I wrote, I was looking for a narrative structure. Mm-hmm. So I picked, I thought, well, you know, the, the tarot is more than just random archetypes. The order is important. So why don't I just use that order as a narrative structure? So I got deeper into it as, as just a, as a structure and a narrative path. And then when I wanted, to, I was thinking, well, should I write a book on the tarot or a film on it? Mm. And, you know, there are something about those archetypes in the tarot. And I'm not into this woo-woo spookiness that this comes from another planet or something. <laughs> it's just not it's not what I'm, what I'm into.
1: And, and you're not using it for divination either, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. I do. Actually, I do do readings. Oh uh, you do that, okay. yeah, I do do but readings. But, but you'll be the first to admit it as deeper values than just readings, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. and if mm. we think about it on the three on the level of three, I mean God likes three, the bottom level of tarot is a card game. The second right. level is the divination right. and the third level is what the path that it shows. and that's why I love about the tarot because
1: could you we call you the third one the transformation? yeah, yeah, the transcendent level no? transcendence, yes
0: mm.
2: And the tarot works on those three levels mm. On the body, on the soul, and on the spirit Right And um, So, you know, th- in that medieval period Whoever came up with The 21 arc- major arcana or They were picking The most powerful Archetypes of that moment And a lot of them Go back To the Greeks Some of them you might Say were more Christian, and then there are a few that are actually just kind of of that period of the, the late medieval period. But I think it's a, it's a fabulous collection of archetypes, and I think that's the main reason I chose it.
1: Would you? Would I, you s- I could have. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go on.
2: I was just saying I could have maybe used the zodiac, right? You know, make that you know the the twelve. It would have been the 12 faces of God. But something (laughs) about the tarot and those images, and it gave me a little bit more room, so I picked the Mm. tarot. But the film, you know, the people who really got the film understand the film is not about the tarot. (laughs) Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, It's a way to go somewhere. Yeah, it's a journey. Yeah,
1: But would you say, let, let, let's stick a little to the uh, more uh, mundane aspects before we go deep. Mm-hmm. Would you say uh, the Mantegna Tarotchi is an early manifestation of the Tarots? Yeah. It's certainly influenced of Pythagorean thought, that's for sure.
2: A- absolutely, absolutely. And I could have gone that route. It, maybe I, I might have. But the thing is, I wanted to pick something that resonated with, with modern people. Mm. And I didn't want to go because the film, I think, is esoteric enough. So I didn't want to. I wanted to pick something that was pretty simple and just delve deep into that.
1: And it's so visual. The, the subject is visual. So I think it's brilliant. And there's a million tarot books already anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a brilliant move to make a film. I don't think there's many good uh, films or documentaries about that subject. But how old uh, – we have fragments here and there. We don't have complete decks of the oldest. But uh, what can we date the oldest finds to?
0: Yeah,
2: because you're right. There, I, I, There's not one complete Visconti deck. There are fragments in different areas. So, as far as I can tell, it's 14... I've heard dates anywhere between like 1420 and 1460 in that area. Right, right. Somebody claims 1390. That would be, I think, the earliest, the earliest, earliest you
1: could... Well, if if the 1300s, then I sense a temporal leak. If the Renaissance... Then it was part of all the other stuff that was flooded out uh, in that period from the east. Uh, the, not really the east, but then you know the near east. The, the Byzantine revival. Right. But um, uh, some say, you know, the, the popular narrative is well, there's that it comes from Egypt, and then there's it comes from Gypsies. hmm Um. And there's other origin myths too. Do you have any particular view on that?
2: You know, uh, you know, Stefan Heller, the Gnostic. Yeah. I like what he says. He says the fact that the myth brings it to Egypt is probably more important than the than if they actually came from Mm -hmm. Egypt. But -hmm. the fact that we want to believe that, because, I mean, if like like we talked about, Pythagoras obviously spent time in Egypt, no? So that thought eventually works its way into medieval thought. So you could look at it mythologically, but now it is true that the actual first decks did come from Egypt, from the Mamluks. but those were playing decks and there was no major arcana in them. Those were Mm. just simple playing decks. And when those decks moved into Europe, then the major arcana were were added as an an additional level to the game.
1: Hang on. Is the playing decks older? Yes. uh, Than the. Yes. Okay, and pl- that's interesting. The,
2: and, just re- and remember, it was a game that was played without the Major Arcana. So I believe there were three court cards. So it would have been, um, what is that, 40, 52 cards.
1: Yeah, isn't that what we have today? Yeah. Or, Plus the yeah, Jokers. Well, no, including it, it, the Jokers.
2: Yeah, no. you'd have Jack, Jack, Queen, King. Exactly. It would, be the, it would be the same. And if you add the Joker, the Joker you could consider to be Major Arcana.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that's but that's, a, that's kind of that's a bit of a stretch I think. That, well it's the gate you know yeah you, you exactly. call you call the fool the the representative of uh, the liminal sphere the the zero that is he's, he's outside of time and space he's the bridge between the
0: mm-hmm.
1: here and now and the beyond so if the major arcana is representative of the beyond, of the above, you know, and the mm-hmm. four elements or um, the minor arcana is the world below, then it makes total sense.
2: Exactly. And that's how I, that's how I see it. And, mm. and, and zero, of course, is a number was something that was anathema, no, to, to the ancients, the idea of nothing. And yeah. so that's why that number is a little bit, um, you know, it puts it puts the fool in a strange place.
0: Yeah, the
1: academicians claim they didn't have a concept of it. But, you know, I've discovered that's wrong. It's just that they didn't uh, – it's a long debate, uh, and we mm-hmm. probably should take it in private. But they did have notions for it, even in ancient Greece. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I'll send you uh, some references. Very interesting. But they, it's it was like <clears> – <throat> it's like archer. Archer is really Cosmos sleeping mm-hmm. – Whereas uh, Nuus or the monad mm-hmm. is cosmos awakening. so it's, if you see the symbol of zero is just a circle, obviously you, you you don't even need a circle because as soon as you put a, uh, you make a circle, then you're already limiting it. But they had to if you're not putting anything, you can't even communicate it right. right. So at least let's put a circle and then let's put a dot in the middle of the circle that is, so it becomes an eye. That's God awakening, that's the monad. That's the number one. That's when we have existence. So non-existence is, per definition, is a negation. Right, right. So I got gotcha, you, That's yeah. why you can't count on it. You can't use it practically until, of course, they discovered negative numbers and stuff like that. And
0: that, ah, that brought us know, the I've hell of death I never
2: thought depth. of it that way. Pardon? i no, I, I really like that idea of the circle, and then the modad is when you when you put the point in the center. Yeah, then it becomes the. Mo- that's that's a fascinating way to look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, but we can go back to put that <laughs> in another instance. So, yeah. So we have then the Tarot as a working system of archetypes basically now let's just indulge the less informed among our very uh, Mm -hmm. informed audience let's define archetypes or let's attempt it at least (laughs) yeah this is it's you know i've tried
2: to do this before and it's difficult i I just think it's so much easier just to just go directly and, and just say archetypes are really the platonic forms right and that's really what they are And it's from those forms. Think of it as the DNA of our, of the noose. No, Mm. it's, it, everything emerges from that. It's the music on the page before it actually becomes a sound wave, right? It's the form. And it's from these forms that everything emerges. That's the material and the non-material. Everything emerges from these forms, and I just I think the I think the origin of this obviously is the Pythagorean thought, and the ultimate archetype is number.
1: Mm. I agree. You know, even the scientists say that you know if we encountered a creature from another, not just another planet, even <laughs> the dimension, the only safe way to communicate with them would be through numbers. And, and, you
2: know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And, you know, there are some mathematicians who believe that there are are many maths. There's not one math.
1: Yeah, but, you know, math means, it comes from ancient Greek, it means, you ma thema means all subjects. Ma thema. So, ma thematic is the theme of all subjects so inside of math is built in all dimensions all aspects and but you know the materialists they have this incredible infantile uh i wouldn't even call it an understanding the notion that man has invented math numbers, <laughs> or numbers <the laughs> or arithmetic. no they discovered it my cat knows the difference of uh, me giving it one treat or two treats a child understands it. it has two candies you take one candy away from it it realizes what's going on you know what i mean basic absolutely in
2: crows it's been proven that crows can count to i believe it's four (laughs) but they but it's it's very interesting they get after four they can't count interesting and four yes i believe it's four you know i could check and it's a favorite to the minor arcana (laughs) yeah and it's fabulous it's a fascinating idea because it was they showed the crow knew it couldn't go into the barn until the men left because it would get shot right so they went four in and four out and then it flew in but he couldn't count the last man so they actually can they've actually studied this it's fascinating so number exists yeah and you know, I mean, if you look at it from the physics level, I remember listening to Feynman once talk about how amazing it was that they could calculate spin hmm. on an electron, certain aspect of spin, to fifteen decimal places. How could you have that level of accuracy? It it, it boggles the mind. No, hmm. yeah. So, I mean, the the material, the material argu- the materialist argument for that is number as as an invention. I don't think it it makes it
1: really it doesn't carry water. No, and I, it's easily disproven. But the interesting thing with number is that it's you know like like the you mentioned music. So and and that mm-hmm. can be boiled down to number two. I think it was Pythagoras who said that music is number in time whereas geometry is number in space. Exactly. And then you have number in itself and then you have number A number in itself, is just arithmosophy, and then you have number in space and time, which is astronomy. But anyway, so uh, the interesting thing with music is that you have the octave, right? You have seven basic tones. Mm -hmm. Imagine people, the piano, you have, obviously you have 12, back to the zodiac, right? But you have Mm -hmm. five half and seven whole. So let's stick to the seven. And then you begin, you know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do. And then you begin again on a new do. Do is the eight, so that's why it's called oct, uh, eight octave, right? Sure, sure. So it's repeating itself. Uh, And we call it, you know, one octave, two octave, three octaves, four octaves. And everything that vibrates basically have these seven or seven plus five. You see it in colors. You see it in everything. Now, it goes maybe unlimited, but it it goes far in each direction. Mm -hmm. But it's the same in numbers. You really basically just have 10 numbers. Uh, And that's that's if you include zero as one of them. And then you have one to nine. And then the principle repeats itself, and it repeats itself and repeats itself. And we know this today. We know this in terms of what's called the holographic universe. We know that if you zoom deep, or the other way uh, out, mm-hmm. you'll see the same patterns. It's not exact same manifestations, but the principles are ingrained into, like fractals. Exactly.
2: And, and, I mean, what are the chances that the ratios of the Tetractus exactly fit to the harmony of music? Right. That's That's the key discovery of Pythagoras, because... When you take those ratios and you see that they, they match physical material harmony, hmm. how, once you see that, it, it, something snaps, it kind of clicks, and you say, yeah. oh, my God, that mate- those archetypes, there is a bridge from those archetypes to the material world, and the first bridge is music. Mm. And that's the power of Pythagoras, to understand that. And from that, all all civilization emerges.
1: Right. I have to give props to your home country, actually. America today is bankrupt in terms of culture, but (laughs) Disney, of all things, (laughs) had a wonderful illustration of these things where they are um, explaining the Fibonacci sequence and all that stuff. Yeah. And I know you know this because yeah. you used some of it. And I use video. a
2: section of that in the, the film. The
1: level that your culture had back then. <laughs> this was for kids. Yes. And today even adults doesn't understand this stuff. Google it people. That, it's Do you know, remember what it's called? At, uh,
2: oh, just put in Disney uh, Pythagoras. Yeah. And I, in in my film on the section of archetypes I use about maybe 4 minutes hmm. and it's it, it's a brilliant and it and it's and it's light and it's funny yeah. but when you really look at it and you say how could this be how could these numbers match physical harmony and we should talk we should talk more you know we could do this method but we should mention the Tetractus because from the Tetractus, I think everything emerges, at least cosmologically.
1: Okay, okay. Let let me just... um, You know, people have no idea what that is. It's one of the most obscure symbols uh, out there, and it's very hard to find any solid information on it, but let's just say Uh it's the origin to the a tree of Life, uh, the Kabbalistic Sephiroths. It's a system of ten arranged dots in a triangle, basically. But it conceals so much. Mm-hmm. You could write a thousand books about it, and you'd only scratch the surface. It's it's a meditational tool more than anything. And, and like the tarot, it's it's a cosmology in and by itself, like the tarot, I'd say. But I, have you managed to match it? Because I, I regarded the practice as the key to everything. Uh, the oh, well, yeah, and, everything. Uh, sorry have you managed to tie it to tarot
2: well not not really but it's it's directly connected to everything in astrology Mm. so for example the monad is the is the conjunction you know the two is the opposition right the trine is the three and the square is four Mm. so when you know i find it amazing when if you ask most astrologers what is the what are the origins of the aspects? And like you mentioned before, music, right? Mm. The monad is the you know it that's it follows exactly, exactly from from a fifth to a quarter note, you no? Know? So you've got the octave, mm. right? Mm. I mean it's, it's it's so it it matches perfectly to music, to astrology. It's the origin of everything.
0: Mm.
1: Even if you look at the big bang theory, where does that come from? And this is a very interesting question. Well, the Indians have a, have a similar notion uh, from ancient times,
2: you know. But in Western thinking, the fact that from the monad emerges mm, energy and gravity, right, and then the whole thing. I mean, and I'm not trying to go, you know, Deepak Chopra here, but it's, <laughs> I'm just saying that Western <laughs> thinking is so embedded in the Tetractus yeah. in everything we do. And I think, actually, a lot of modern physicists aren't aware of this. They're not aware of... I'd
1: like to differ, because I've noticed that um, if you regard academia, you'll see that the most materialist people are in social sciences. Uh, Ironically, I've said this before. Uh, In fact, I said it when I talked with Alex. I said that uh, for some weird reason, those who study the mind psychology... Mm-hmm. are the most hardcore materialist whereas those who study matter often, and again like we began talking about Buddha, Lao Tse, Pythagoras I've noticed many top physicians, astrophysics, quantum physics they're into Platonism Neoplatonism, which basically is just a fancy modern word for Pythagoreanism. Exactly. News, or they're into Buddhism, or they're into Taoism. And I don't think that's coincidental because they didn't it depends what you're encountering, but you recognize, oh, these are nature-based things, and I'm studying nature, and I'm seeing patterns that are similar. They're just using an archaic or poetic language, a magical language, to express the same thing I'm doing here with my, mm-hmm. you know, with my scientific tools. So, so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't diss too much the physicians. It depends. Of course, at the lower levels, you have all these brainwashed minions, but. Deep physics thinkers often have a spiritual outlook.
2: No, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess I didn't mean it that way because you're right. Okay. If you all of the all, the all of the serious mathematicians, all of them are Platonists. Yep. I mean, and they. But I, I just meant that I watched a film on um, on supersymmetry, mm. and. You know, it's one of the potential models, you know, for the the standard model of physics. And if you look at the model of supersymmetry, I show this in the film, it (laughs) matches exactly to the Zodiac. But it's almost ridiculous. Like, I think somebody a little bit older would have looked at that and said, isn't that a Zodiac? (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and you have this this string theory with 10 strings, one for each uh, sphere, you know, in the tetractus. (laughs) yeah and then say yeah what about the 11th well it's there's an 11th implied before the detractors manifests it's a circle around it right (laughs) and you know there is a deeper question here because on a a very on a sort of a
2: basic level it's like saying well okay there are these forms and from these forms emerge the physical world Mm. but on a deeper level are we causing the physical world to emerge through these models through our consciousness mm. that, that especially when you start to think of, you know, the whole multiple universe theories of the multiverse and things, what, what is causing what and this question? Sometimes, sometimes I, 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 it, it kind of eats at me. Mm. It kind of bothers me a little bit. Did you know what I mean? Mm, Absolutely. It's it's a and I mean just a silly example, but from uh, general relativity, you know, I think it was, you know, this idea of black holes. And for Einstein, he thought it was an anomaly in the math. (laughs) And eventually, this thing becomes something that people begin to look for,
1: and then we find them.
2: I always found that
1: very curious. Very curious. And that may be entrances to other universes. Yes, yes. But are we causing these things? Is our
2: consciousness, is everything evolving together? You see oh, what I right. mean?
1: right. Chicken and the egg. Yeah.
2: yes. Yes, yes. get you. And, and I always thought that was just a little bit strange, you know? There are those things in math sometimes that you wonder, is it really? Because, you know, from the Darwinian point of view, why would a monkey have the potential the potential to be able to understand the universe to that extent mm-hmm. so you say oh well you know we got lucky or is it <laughs> is it we are created? you know that that's a different question we should probably leave that yeah. for another day yeah.
1: i agree with that we got lucky if luck <laughs> if luck is uh analog to fire <laughs> <laughs> great point
2: great point <laughs> I just want to make one point here, and this is kind of something I I a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. To enchant the world, if we would just teach children math, mm-hmm. not as accounting system, but as a system of archetypes. Yeah. My God, imagine these kids. Right. If we if we put if return the one we wouldn't need churches and it no. the People would have a natural spiritual affinity for the universe because they would see. But we teach numbers as an accounting system. Exactly. And that's such a shame. It's such a shame.
1: It is. You know what I usually say? Uh, we're soulmates here because what I usually say is, to, especially, you know, in spirituality, you get all these airy heads who have no Thought or or, or understanding of, they're actually afraid of numbers and math. Uh And I don't blame them because the school, and this is what I tell them the school has treated numbers like the slaughter factories treat animals. (laughs) It doesn't mean that that's the only value of animals, right? Right. Obviously. And it's the same with the numbers but they are brainwashed by the slaughterer industry and so they are afraid of uh, numbers but they should embrace it uh, i love to uh, you know when people like that discover the intuitive aspect of numbers yes that's
2: that's a know. great metaphor too about the yeah. slaughterhouse that's perfect yeah i think it expresses and, uh, how it is yeah and and when we think about music as an expression of number then when you go back, I mean, I think you'll notice in the film, there's a certain affinity for Baroque music in the film.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And, and, and that music, oh, my God, the numbers. Oh, my <laughs> God.
2: No. And, yeah. you know, if you wanted to solve all the problems in the world, if we just put on all public places for one year, Vivaldi and Bach, mm. that's it. So every time you're in an airport, a bus station, a supermarket, that… That would change the vibration of the entire world. I'm absolutely sure of it.
1: I agree. I mean, it's like it's like Jung. You know, you can't get untouched away from going deep into Jung. It will mark you forever. The yeah. same can be said about Bach. Oh, my God.
2: And it just goes deeper and deeper. I remember when I started listening to the cantatas, I was like, oh, my God. How did I never know about this? <laughs> I mean, it, it it touches you in a way that... You don't you don't really see how you know it's a different level of of engagement. I mean Bach is close to the voice of God. I mean if you want yeah. to listen to what, what does God sound like, well it's pretty close to this.
1: <laughs> but ironically, I think didn't wasn't Bach one of the first to change the the tuning system up to the modern, or, or did that come after him?
2: Well, I, well actually, I th- it, Bach had his system and. There was, but I believe it was before, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I know. He used uh, old stuff, but uh, I wonder if he, i read something. I'm not Mm -hmm. too on very firm ground here, and musicians among us will probably roll their eyes now. I should know this, but I'd best be asking Joseph Farrell. He's a musician. He would know this. He studied Bach. Right. But there is something to be said about the tuning system, because you know probably as well as me that not long ago, 100 years ago. They decided upon this horrible pitch as mm-hmm. uh, where they skew the they use a to, to tune after. and right. if you if you look at the natural tone system in nature, a is <clears throat> I think it's 427. Mm -hmm. but they have decided it should be, I think it's 440 or something. I I believe it's
2: 440, yeah. I believe it's 440. Yeah,
1: yeah. and the problem then is that all instruments, when they tune after that, everything will come out of tune with the real tones. Now, obviously, you you you, you only have to click once on Google and you'll find a million conspiracy theories about this. (laughs) But it needn't be sinister. It can just be ignorance. It can be coincidence, whatever. Uh, But... Uh, No matter the intention, the result is that most music today is out of tune with the natural frequencies, the pure frequencies, I mean. Like C is supposed to be 256 hertz, then 512, then 1024, etc., It's doubling all the way, right? But that's not what's going on in music unless a musician is aware of that, uh, which some are, and then they try making music after the real. And that gives interesting Ah, results, my friend, as we can imagine if what we're both claiming is true, that music is – you call it, what, the first manifestation of the divine? Was that it?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's what I see. And it's that bridge between the world of archetypes and the material world. And in that space – Now there is one interesting thing for tuning systems. There's this problem of the, what do they call it? The Pythagorean scent. No, that everything's always going to be off. Yeah. And you know, there's one very interesting thing. I've never said this anywhere, so I'm not sure. I'm not that I've discovered it, but if you look at the problem of 360 degrees and three on a circle,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. we have those five extra days. Right. And for, (laughs) I think for a lot of people, I mean, how beautiful would it have been if we had 360 days? Hmm. But something's a little bit off. And do you know that if you do that ratio of of five, the, the, how how off is 365 to 360? 360 and the Pythagorean scent in music, it's very very close. And I've always found that very curious. And you know, no one has no one has mentioned this because it shows that it's almost that gnostic idea that it's it's almost right but it's not quite right right,
0: right. <laughs>
1: no but i mean there's mythologies and uh, notions about um something happening to our solar system and the Earth, so that the Earth came out of tune, so to speak, because you could say that the planets sing the music of the spheres, etc. Right? right? Human resonance, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, if that's true, then the tone of the planet would change, and so would also because this is all related: the spin, the distance to the sun, all that stuff. So, if that happens, we will get a different amount of days right now we know about the golden age notion when the the sun uh, i mean the seasons were permanent and everything was harmony
2: <laughs> it exactly and is that is that f- does that work into that whole myth of something gone wrong right and that's a fascinating question and, and it, it does i mean wasn't it kepler when he when he found out that it was an elliptical um you know, the that the, there was an ellipse, not a circle. I think he said in he used some very vulgar phrase. He wasn't happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, I, I can't recall. I know what you mean.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, it's it's that fresh, and this is what's so interesting about this because the new age people want to
1: say everything is so wonderful. Mm. It's not <laughs> They're discounting <laughs> darkness. Uh, there's no light without shadow, right? Right but it would be
2: nice it would be nice if those numbers all (laughs) no it's just
1: yeah but in in a sense they do uh, I'd say because um, it's you know if everything was static if everything was perfection manifested, we wouldn't have anything to strive towards. We wouldn't have any problems to solve. We wouldn't have any resistance to mend. We wouldn't have any incentive to grow. We would be robots, basically. Mm-hmm. But when there's a little portion off, That's... You know, Leonard Cohen, he says, uh, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yeah. bit. That,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that, that's true. But I th- I think that's... That frustration is
2: something that you have to learn to, to yeah. kind of, like you said, you have to learn to live with it and balance it. Mm. But there's a side of us, I think, that wants it all just to fit perfectly.
1: <laughs> yeah, there is. At least through philosophers, um, the ancient initiates, they said that that's the mission of a wisdom lover. It is to find and discover the greater harmonies. Yeah. If you can do that, that's when you have recognition. And I guess that's your journey too when you work with the stuff like the tarot and you discover stuff. That's basically just you uncovering nature's ingrained beautiful order, which, you know, beautiful order in Greek is cosmos. <laughs> right. Right. And and that, that is the, you know, the deeper
2: you go, into say the major arcana of the tarot, mm. it, it just seems to just release itself, and it, it it is a it is a really profound profound system, and it's loosey goosey enough where you can kind of fit it in. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yes. but you said you said something interesting. You said the order was important. Now I've heard from a lot of um, um, quote unquote experts that. They disagree about the order. Some think it's been manipulated. Some mm-hmm. think it's uh, other types of errors. And many people want to discover the real, true order. What's your view on this? The sequence, I mean.
2: Yeah, I, I would take the Platonic view in the sense that it, there, the order, because you know, there's a there's a, there's a seed of materialism in that. If you know what I mean, that there to think that, well, there was originally in somewhere in Egypt, there was a a correct order and we've lost that order. But I kind of look at it more as the order emerging, because remember, the the Visconti deck had no numbers. Hmm. So there were no those they were not numbered. So the numbers came probably, I guess it's later on. But, for example, when once we get to the Marseille deck, then they were numbered. So something happened between, say, the 1400s and the mid-1600s for that – for those numbers to begin to appear. And I think we can kind of trust – I think we can trust the system there. Hmm. That the, you, you know what I mean? That the, the tradition kind of worked its way and found those – found that order. So, yeah, you could argue – and I'll, I'll be honest, making the film, I guess the biggest question is always um, – um, now I'm blanking here, but it's on. Uh, oh, that's right, it's on uh, strength and um, oh my god, and justice, right? Mm. That the those two cards, the order on those two cards, and I almost made the film with the Marseille order. Oh, and I I spent yeah I spent about three. I made it, maybe it was two or three weeks battling myself, and in the end I said, you know what? I'm just going to go with the right or weight order, because you can you can feel it both ways. Both ways would work, and mm. that gets back to what we were just talking about with number. I mean, you know, th- there are these issues in music, in astrology with the 365 and the 360. Mm. We're never going to get it perfect. There's always going to be that that
1: fight. You no, know, we have to leave perfection to the beyond, right?
2: Exactly So yeah There is There are issues With the order But that's probably The biggest issue Mm. Those two And remember In the Visconti decks There was no Apparently There was no Devil and no tower Oh okay Interesting At least At least That has been found
1: Hmm yeah, but we don't know. You know, the myth says it was the ancient Egyptian priests. The, the decay was already setting in. They needed to preserve the tooth's wisdom. Right. And, and, but, you know, it is a wheel. And it's interesting also to see the – to play around with the word tarot. Because you have rota, right. which means wheel. And then, you, you know, if you go like this – Tara, Tara, ta, 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 <laughs> you know, and you also have Torah in there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a fourth uh, spin too. I forget. It's so long, but uh, the, I mean, even the name could say something about its nature or its origin.
2: No, absolutely. In in, in my film, I stay away from the. Kabbalistic interpretations yeah and it's not a knock on them and up uh, and obviously in in the Golden Dawn the Kabbalah was really important yeah it's just something that never resonated with me I mean I've studied it it's very important if you're gonna especially in the minor arcana if you're gonna use the Rider-Waite deck you have to understand Kabbalah to understand mm. especially the minor arcana it's just something that never really and and on the other hand, the Cathars are something that's always really resonated with me. So I kind of inject
1: the film with a lot more of that sort of Cathar thing. I guess we can disclose your whereabouts. Yeah, yeah. You I, I, live I, in the heart of Cathar. Right. Cathar,
2: Cathar land. Catharia. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: in Andorra. Yeah. And, um... And some people even say the origins, the medieval origins, come from the Abigensian Crusade of Andorra. Uh-huh. It was a political uh-huh. solution, right?
1: Um, well, that that's indirectly connected to Templars then. So. Yeah. Mm.
2: And I made my pilgrimage to
1: Montsigur, Um So. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, it's easy for you living in Andorra. <laughs> That's not a bragging point. Going to exactly. China is more impressive <laughs> in that context, you know.
2: Yeah, it's actually a couple hundred kilometers from here. Yeah. Maybe even less. Might be like 150. Yeah, it's very close. But, you know,
1: every every seeker has to walk up a mountain sooner or later, so absolutely, mm. absolutely that's a good mountain to choose, but going back to the tarot um, mm-hmm. so some things I think is beyond uh, reproach, like, like the fool for zero and one for magician makes all the sense in the world for me
0: mm-hmm.
1: magician, you know will is the first uh, I, I, I put it on fire so it mm-hmm. would be first element to manifest and zero, like you say also in your movie being beyond by the way, speaking of zero have you read the book called *Zelator*? The laughter? No, *Zelator*, *The Way of the Fool*, allegedly by Mark Hadsell. It's supposed to be the secret diaries of Mark Hadsell. But I, I suspected the first time I read it. You know, I've never heard of this Mark Hadsell guy, and who's the real author? And after some research, I realized it is a uh, constructed pseudonym. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't read it, oh my God, you're in for a treat, man. Cool. It's one of the best books I'd say I'd encounter on the principle of the fool, the way of the fool. No, I don't think I have. I don't think I've read that. Well, check it out. Yeah, I yep, definitely will. Check it out. Well, I'm sorry. What was the name again? The... So, uh, the book is called Zelator. It's written Z-E-L-A-T-O. O R, oh, Like okay. it's the first degree in Golden Dawn, I think. Oh, okay. Or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the Rosicrucian system. And, sp- and to you, New Edgers, understand that you wouldn't be flirting with Tarot if it wasn't for the Golden Dawn. Right. Those are the people who popularized it, leaked it out to the open market. Exactly.
2: I believe it was part of the initiation that each one had to create a deck, right? Mm. And that's. That's why Arthur Edward Waite, that was part of his, his process to create a deck. And this deck was just obviously very fortunate, you know, the, yeah. the circumstances around it.
1: But you, when you're working with a tarot, you're obviously approaching it from, you know, not just intellectually, um, being a tool to transformation and all. Um, do you have any advice for people who, who want to work with a tarot, how they can use it? Yeah, I think when you begin
2: to do divination, divination will open up many 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 doors on the path. But it shouldn't be it shouldn't be the final goal. That's I think mm-hmm. a lot of people begin with the tarot thinking, "Oh, this is something I can use. It's a game or it's something I can" you know, big learn divination, but there is a higher level. Like we talked about before, no, the three levels mm. there's tarot as a card. It's just the card game, the material part. There's the divination, which would be the soul. And then there's the transcendent part, which is the the deepest part of it. I would highly recommend. I, I like, I like the Rider weight deck and there's so much information about it that it's a great way. It's a great place to start. The Marseille deck is much. I think it's probably more beautiful, but it has the problem. Yeah, the hardcore people tend to prefer that one. But my memory is not that good, mm. so to to memorize the minor arcana just by the image, you know, when you, you, there's no images on the Marseille deck, so if you're doing divination, it's it's easier, I think, using right. um, a deck that has the minor arcana yeah. with an image on it. That makes sense. Um. And yeah, I would, I, you know, to start out, for example, my film is a good way to learn the major arcana.
0: Mm.
2: The minor arcana, there's lots of books out there. Um, I like. It's interesting. It, there tend to be books on on Kabbalah. Dion Fortune's book, the um, what was it about Kabbalah? What's that, Mystical the Mystical Kabbalah. That's a wonderful book for learning the minor arcana. Mm. And she writes really well. And that, that's a good book for the minor arcana. And, and then I I use the, um, the Celtic cross. So I think it's good to just use, start out with one system, one spread.
1: Hmm.
2: And, you know. It it it's not something. the Yeah, but would
1: you, you, you advise mm-hmm. against some of these modern manifestations where it's interpreted it's an echo of an echo of an echo if you see what I mean. Sure. They put so much of their own notions into it. So at least go back to Rider right Waite, right? At least. Yeah.
2: And if you have a very good memory, then I would I would go back to one of the Mercedes. Yeah. Because they really are. Aesthetically, they're probably. I, I really like the Marseille decks a lot. It's just for my memory, it, it was difficult. And the rider weight deck, the images, they she did an excellent job. So those images, they don't seem old and they don't seem new. They they fit aesthetically. I think they work. Mm. But it, getting on that idea of you know these many that the tarot can be anything you want it to be, I think is an enormous mistake. Mm. It's an enormous mistake Mm. because there's a lot of power in these archetypes. And if you leave the archetype, you're going to get a lot of, it's, it's, you know, it's like cooking Mm. when you, you know, when you cook, if you go first do it three or four times the traditional way, and when you've got it down, then you can begin playing around with it. Mm. But if you start playing around with the recipe, before you've mastered it, <laughs> mm. you're never gonna know what it tastes like.
1: Excellent metaphor, you know. Mm.
2: And um, so I would highly recommend. Yeah, go, stay. The, I would go any later than um, than the rider weight deck.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, and, and to those who, you know, we talked about, you can approach the numbers poetically, intuitively. Mm-hmm. When I back in the day, when I flirted with the tarot, yeah, I used it as a tool for divination. You know, does she love me? Whatever, right?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, but what I did to educate myself on it wasn't to read too many books. What I did was that, I, and I, this goes for the major arcana. I took up a card. Let's say, let's say the fool, mm-hmm. and I was laying in bed and I was studying it, the image and everything. I was trying to empathetically go into the scenery if you like and then I put the um, I don't know where I got this maybe fortune whatever but I put the card under my pillow mm-hmm. and fell asleep and I often dreamt about because obviously it was the last impression on my mind but I often dreamt about it and through that I developed a more intuitive approach I'd say are you familiar with that method what do you think uh, or, or just hearing it like this could it work
2: I think that's a fabulous method, especially if you're very new to the tarot. Mm. So if, for example, somebody is listening to this and they can't, if I say the wheel of fortune or the tower, that image doesn't come into their mind. That method of yours, I think would be fabulous because I never forget the first time I saw a tarot deck. Mm. It scared it scared me, literally.
1: Yeah, as a Catholic boy.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be burning in hell. <laughs> and, and I was, I have, to, you know, full disclosure, I was raised in a very strict Catholic family. Now. Oh, my, my so, sympathies, yeah. <laughs> so when you look at those images for the first time, your method, I think, would be fabulous. And like, I would, I, I would go for you, take out the minor arcana. Mix the major arcana and don't look at them. Don't like, just like you said, and then pull a card and look at it. And under the pillow, you'll have crazy dreams.
1: Mm. Vivid. dreams.
2: And and I think it would be important to write those dreams down. Make sure you've got the book there because you want to put down those initial impressions.
1: Yep. Yeah, very important in all symbolism to note your impressions. And in time, you can see in Bird's perspective the development and, and notice bigger patterns you don't do when you're focused on the details. Exactly. But after a while, you'll get a bigger picture. What do you think about the uh, uh, Harris Crowley deck? Oh, the Crowley deck.
2: I don't like the artwork that much. I'm not completely convinced on the artwork, but some of those cards I love. Like, um, I believe temperance, the Crowley decks temperance is called, isn't it called art? Not sure. Yeah. So some, some of them I really actually like, but I've, I, I, I'm kind of conservative, so Mm. it's just easier for me to stick with one deck. And especially if you want to do divination, it's very important because if you watch the film, you'll see some of the some of the sections of the film. I mean, there's no voiceover. It's just images and music.
0: Hmm.
2: That's because I've been with these cards a long time. And like you say, when you really I think actually the best sections of the film are the ones with no voiceover. Right. (laughs) Because that's when I really. You know, I was completely in touch with the archetype, and a lot of people. It's funny, so a lot of people get angry. Where's the voiceover on the
1: Hyrule fan? <laughs> like, does it really need it? <laughs> it just enjoy it, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know? No, I, I get that. Um, okay, so we're talking about how it can be a tool for your personal development. So, I guess, in a way, it's about. You know, if you want to stand reality, if you want to stand the world around you, uh, if you go to the root of things, Mm -hmm. because we are trapped in the world of manifestations and manifestations are like the last mask of the root cause. So just to uh, explain to people why we would even bother, it's not about sitting here jerking off to fancy exotic stuff. It's about (laughs) going into the construct of reality. And and we, we are like quantum physicians in a way. Right. You know, existential quantum physicians when we do this, wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely. Mm. And that's the beauty of getting involved with something like like the tarot, because you begin to see that the archetypes, the, the metaphors open up onto other metaphors, onto other metaphors, and, and it's, it's the tetractus all over again, <laughs> just em- emerging out. So you'll see the high priestess. You know, in the film I use, I don't know, I use uh, Bridget Bardot, I think. But, you know, you'll see her again and again. It just keeps emerging. Mm. So once she – and, and the, that's the beauty of the tarot, I think. It's an—it's a relatively easy way to, to, to kind of fall down that, that rabbit hole. While, for example, astrology – I do astrology. Astrology is fascinating, but it takes – A lot of effort and many many years you know if you play around with the tarot for a couple of years you can it can open maybe more doors than astrology could just because astrology can be so difficult yeah it's a lot
1: of technicalities there that you have to learn exactly yeah in a way the tarot is maybe more approachable more available because it's more intuitive pure in its uh, but you know you have the four elements in astrology you mentioned alchemy maybe we'll get back to that later but you have the four elements there now you mentioned the rabbit hole you have the four elements there too And you mentioned the tetractus that's you know fourness one and then you have two and then you have three and then you have four so that's the fullness of that. Yeah, and where where am I getting at? Well I'm getting to the fact that the minor uh, arcana is basically the same thing. It's and I'll say that yeah, you, you said playing cards because you have two black and you have two right. red. So mm-hmm. the two black are the two masculine, air and fire, and right. two red are the two feminine, water and earth. I say this arrangement um pray tell if you disagree but i say sure. clubs are air spades are fire diamonds are earth and hearts are water what do you think about them, apples
2: yeah it, it, exactly so but if and if we take that to the to the um to the tarot its cups cups becomes hearts right mm. diamonds becomes um hold on now i'm getting oh, oh my god Yeah, club. That's right. Clubs are wands. Yeah, exactly. Clubs are wands, and then um, swords are diamonds,
1: right? Uh, Not in my view. I wouldn't say swords are feminine at all. I'd say they're masculine. I'd say they're fire. Because this is an old controversy. Like all, you know, all systems are controversies. In in Mm -hmm. astrology is the house system. I even lost a guest because I expressed my view on the house system. (laughs) That's how sensitive. (laughs) <laughs> but is that
2: true? You really lost the guest because of a yeah, house he system? He
1: wouldn't oh go more. God. He wouldn't talk to me. But anyway, so in tarot, you have the exact same thing, and that's which elements are which uh, – what do you call these four things? Cups, ones. Is there a f- – Right, the four suits. Suits. Which suits are which elements? How I say – Oh, uh, okay. Well, let's Yeah, let's, you-
2: let's use the tarot ones because I'm, yeah. g- I'm getting confused when I go back to the playing cards. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, right. So let's hear what you're view. You- yeah, Um, Swords
2: uh, swords are air Wands are fire Cups are water And pentacles are earth That's most people would agree with Now now, for example, the person I Maybe learned the most tarot from Was Stefan Heller I'm Mm. a big fan of his work And he has a set of lectures On the tarot that I highly recommend Mm. If you want to learn to read tarot I think it's 20 bucks And you can get his whole I think there's maybe eight lectures or something. But he actually switches it. So he says swords are fire and and wands are air. I I agree with him. Yeah. And and you know what? In the end, I'm not sure it really matters. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. But you what you I will say this make up your mind soon like you know you don't want to be doing a reading saying well our, our wands here fire in the air, then, then you're gonna get you're gonna get lost
1: you don't want to divorce when you, you and your wife discover <laughs> <laughs> People are divorcing for less. uh, (laughs) I mean, Trump, Hillary, whatever. we take that next time. Absolutely. But let's get to symbolism now as a notion. Mm -hmm. You know, many people don't understand, especially when we're haunted by the modern technical mind, they don't understand the value of symbolism or the point of it, or even the the impact of it. Want to say a few words about that? Sure. I mean, culture
2: is is really our operating system. It's, it's, it's how we manage the physical world and the basis of culture. The DNA of, of culture is archetypes. It's how we interpret what we see, mm. what comes through our senses. It's interpreted through language and language is based on symbols. Yeah. And, And it's a fascinating question because the materialists would say it's just it's just an impulse. No, we're just reacting, but we're reacting through a culture. And even they would have to admit that.
0: Mm.
2: So we have the material world. We have this culture. And then we receive things through the interpretation of culture and culture is all symbols. So there is nothing that we interpret without symbols that's true i mean think of a physicist what where would a physicist be without math and if you ask the physicist
1: yeah and you know how two astrologers can discuss uh, with each other and you won't understand shit unless you're into astrology
2: <laughs> it's absolutely
1: or, or like two
2: chess guys yeah, oh my god the chess guys <laughs> when they start talking about the openings and the defenses the and then i'm just it's sick, all symbols, well. <laughs> man. totally no, totally
0: yeah,
1: totally. yeah.
2: But what's the difference? That's a great metaphor. What's the difference between two chess masters discussing a game mm. and two physicists discussing the universe or two occultists discussing symbolism. <laughs> right. Right. Because the, the chess players have the chess board and the physicists have the math, but ask a physicist, where in nature do you see the number three? Where is it? Where is pi? Can you find it somewhere? Can you find a circle? Hmm. You can find things that are close to a circle, but a circle, circle? A pupil? The sun? But do you see what I mean? That Hmm. everything is symbolic. Hmm. And once, once that's realized, that opens so many doors, because those symbols never end. Exactly. It just keeps opening. And that's why, for example, in math, when they talk... You know, a lot of mathematicians will argue about the idea of infinity, but I think for people more on the kind of spiritual path, that concept of infinity is fascinating on the symbolic level because do the metaphors ever end? Hmm. And I think that's a very profound spiritual question. Do they end? Is there a singularity somewhere or is it an infinite unfolding? and i think accepting for me i'll just this is a very personal thing mm-hmm. for me that moment when i was able to accept that it's the universe is just an infinite unfolding of metaphors mm.
1: it it releases you because you you don't have to find that singularity and and uh, you know the ancient philosophers ancient initiates they said that you you said i a never ending you know door after door they said it was the doorway to the gods in fact, they went as far as to assert that symbols are the language of the soul. Absolutely. And when we, when geeks like us, we have the audacity to take on the invisible world, you can't do it through words. Like the uh, Taoist says, they they have a saying about that, Uh, the secret that can be expressed is not the real secret, the truth that can be expressed is not the real truth. Mm -hmm. So you have to, okay, so we don't have any more, we don't have the intellect approach, uh, the sensoric approach. Uh, we can't even use words so what's behind because yeah you like you said language is is a manifested system of symbols but there's levels of symbols right exactly. so we go closer and closer and closer and at some point we come to the verge to the horizon and then we encounter the archetypes uh, and I, i'd say <clears throat> archetypes are the first manifestation of the unmanifested of the inexpressible in other words, in a hierarchy you can call a road sign a symbol too, you can call anything a symbol really, but if you have levels of symbols then if you if you unpluck it mask after mask after mask you get closer and closer to the causation mm-hmm. I'd say the archetype isn't the original causation, I'd say it's the first mask the first manifestation, the because behind the archetypes are the real essence that can't be. It's not tangible. It's not expressed. But the archetypes, at least, is the first tangible vibration of that ineffable thing. Do you understand what I mean?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I was just thinking about it's like almost like a spaceship. That that, but when that spaceship gets close enough to the sun. Mm. it it just gets dissolved. And so there, there is, like you say, it's, it's the first, yeah, it's, it's sort of that first, it's the very beginning, but it's not the origin. And that's very, and and even number. Mm. I think there's sort of, there's a tendency with some to think that, well, number is the finality. Number is, is a symbol. It's an archetype for something beyond that. Yeah. And and that's and that's very important to do away with or disengage from that necessity to identify to say, but behind the number is it, it's you, you have to let that go.
1: And and when we speak of Jung, he his mission was to make this practical for us human beings. <laughs> he was more not so well. He was focused on the cosmic too, but at least what's popular in the psychology is, you know, how it relates to our personal uh, mm-hmm. beings, the personal manifestations of these archetypes, you know, like the anima and animus and all that stuff. So, right. uh, to, to personify it is pretty smart because if it's true that as a so below, hmm. uh, if the holographic principle is correct, that things are repeating, then you don't need to map the entire cosmos. You can start with yourself, right? And that can be a doorway. To the greater Exactly exactly and that's That's the self no Mm.
2: that you Can and you know it's important to keep In mind that a lot of young His ideas Developed working with People who were severely Schizophrenic oh wow And so when he Was working with these Patients What he was getting from them There seemed to be A meaning in for lack of a better word in the insanity, but it was overloaded. He felt like something was coming through, but it it just had overtaken the ego of the person.
0: Hmm.
2: It overwhelmed them. And that's, and I think that's where the the whole, the whole Jungian ideas really begins. It begins with schizophrenics because schizophrenics are constantly using archetypes and symbols Their whole world is full of those. Unfortunately, it it seems like it loses coherence because their rational mind and their egos are just completely overwhelmed. But you'll feel these archetypes just rushing through them, but trampling over them. That's why you need an ego to be able to filter the stuff.
1: Yeah, you you, you have no choice. I mean, uh, it will happen anyway (laughs) in the filtration, I mean. (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah exactly exactly and that's what's so interesting about young was that i that when he was studying the gnostics the alexandrian gnostics their cosmologies are so bizarre i mean they really are i mean Mm. i love them but you it's it's easy to just get lost in them Mm. and then young found alchemy and he saw in alchemy a modern Sort of a a modern man's version of those Gnostic myths, right? But expressed in a modern way with actual technologies, fire and furnaces, and and that's it's very interesting that point in his life when when he understood that alchemy was the way. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that his the long time girlfriend he had her name's escaping me. Yeah. he had the wife. No, he obviously he had Emma Young, and then he had her name was um ah well, the name's escaping me.
1: Yeah, we talked uh, at length. Tony about, Tony
2: uh, Wolf. Tony Wolf.
1: Oh, oh, I was, was talking. I was thinking of this uh, Jewish uh, student of his who.
2: Oh, the one from the well. Yeah, yeah. that's a whole different topic.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, he had another one too. <laughs> nice. But yeah,
2: but Tony Wolf was his. <laughs> He, Young was fascinating because he had, he had a wife, he had a whole just boatload of kids, and then he had his girlfriend. He would bring Tony Wolf to the house, and she was like the other wife. You no, know? mm. but later in life, he understood that he really needed to go deep into alchemy, and that's when Marie Louise von Franz comes into his life, right? Because she takes over the whole alchemic part of it. And, th- and it's interesting. He begins to f- move away from Tony Wolf. To, he never had a relationship with Marie Lise von Franz because she, you know, for other reasons. Mm. <laughs> but that that was kind of that that second part of his of his journey. And those are really, I think, that end those last books, Aeon, the Mysterium, the book on UFOs, mm. um, that whole. The, the book on job, you no, know, the answer to job, that whole last
1: period. Is that also when he directly wrote about astrology and alchemy and stuff like that? Was that closer to the end?
2: about the about yeah, the alchemy becomes very, very prominent in the end.
1: Hmm. From the
2: psychology of transference on, he's really obsessed with with alchemy.
1: But it makes so no sense because alchemy is a system of transformation or transmutation, I say. And and his psychology is transformative. It's nothing if not uh, transform, transpersonal and transformal. So, sure, uh, yeah. I mean, nobody's an island. So, even geniuses like Jung has sources of inspiration. And what better than alchemy? I mean, maybe astrology could... Because Jung was an alchemist. Pardon? Jung was an alchemist. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do <laughs> I mean,
1: well, you mean do you mean like a laboratory alchemist? No, no, no.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 looked at it from yeah from from a from, a, from a, let's let's call it. I, I don't like the word psychology that much, but no. But from that psychological transformative on a personal level,
1: I um, that's totally fair because us below, so above.
2: Exactly exactly
1: so you don't have to be in a white coat to work with alchemy you can work with it in other manifestation areas it's the same principles right
2: absolutely but i would say this though working with it on a physical level i think helps Hmm. right i think it helps with the transformation because i mean i've just done tinctures and things like that but even when you do that that process of transforming it does seem to it, it affects you mm. and and that's why doing astrology that's the beauty of astrology because it connects you it gives the cosmos that meaning mm. the more interested i've gotten in astrology the more interested i've gotten in astronomy <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> because you see like you say as above so below
1: mm. you know yeah you know what i think this is a good place for a break
2: Great, sure.
1: And uh, cause I sense I we can, can keep, keep going. going, so, so let's, let's do that. And let's, let's just, just refill re- our mugs say, with, well, maybe water, maybe stronger stuff. And then let's, let's take, take this, this a few, few steps, steps deeper, deeper in part two. Okay. Great. All of our files
0: are free and will remain free. If you like the show. You can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks.